once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Now on our podcast, we interview musicians and other industry professionals to give you an inside look on how to take your music to the next level. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the C-Squared podcast with Corey and Curtis. Today, we don't have just one guest, but we have two from Napalm Records. We have Natalie, head of PR, and Brem, head of, or well, marketing manager. And they've both agreed to join us today, but they came in a pair because they know it's all about the shenanigans on this podcast. <laughs> but first, before we get started, I do just want to say thank you both for joining us today. We're super excited to have you here. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Cool. So for the very first question, we just want to get a nutshell version on both your backgrounds. So I guess we'll start with Natalie first, and then we'll go over to Bram. It might actually make a little more sense to start with Natalie because, I mean, with Bram instead of Natalie, I can't talk today. All right. Podcaster. Uh, uh, Because my first real job outside of college, I'll start actually at college. Uh, college radio is really what got me into this. Um, I love metal. I love my radio station, my tiny 10 watt radio station in Pennsylvania. And it led me to an internship at a trade magazine, Friday Morning Quarterback. Um, I was there for a long time. Um, then I went to Billboard and uh, worked at Billboard for a little while. Uh, Billboard Radio Monitor was a trade magazine. Um, And after that, I worked at a company called The Syndicate, which is a marketing company. And uh, I handled metal radio there. And one of the people I spoke to was Natalie. I promoted records to her back when she was still in college. 19 years old. Yeah, so we've known each other for quite a while. Um, I was at The Syndicate for a little while. I ran a website called Metal Insider, which you're probably familiar with. Um, Mm -hmm. I also did metal radio promotion. I did some experiential events and marketing events with companies like HBO and Showtime. And then I got the opportunity to join Napalm. And uh, I'd known the label and I'd known some of the people there and I liked a lot of the bands. And uh, I've been here for about three years. So that's my career in a nutshell. But yeah, I spoke to her when she was in college. Yeah, that is uh, a long time ago. Yeah, there's crossover. That's what we're like. I mean, it was funny, actually, when I found out I was going to be working with Bram, I was like, I got my start in college radio, like a lot of uh, industry uh, people do, especially in the metal side of things. Um, And so I was working with Bram, and I was working with a lot of promoters um, and uh, radio promo people at different labels and such. And I was doing internships at like Relapse and um, I was like the first Metal Sucks intern, like, and I did Metal Insider stuff and um, all kinds nice. of stuff. And and then I got, uh, I started working at Adrenaline PR, which is the firm that's uh, uh, led by Maria Ferrero, who's like a PR legend. And I worked uh, there for 10 years. Uh, and worked with everyone from like Lamb of God to Motorhead and Ryan James Dio and Mayhem Festival and like pretty much like the biggest names in the game at the time. And um, uh, I think two years ago, now a little bit over two years ago, um, the opportunity here came up at Napalm and I took it and I was excited to work with Bram and excited to work with Sean and, and Logan and everybody on the team overseas. And um, it's, been, it's been doing that since and it's been great. That's my story. Good job. (laughs) And since, you know, you just kind of touched on it a little bit, or well, segued into it a little bit, do you both want to kind of go over what your roles are at Napalm and what they all entail? And we could, since Bram went first last time, you can go first this time, Natalie. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah, fairness. Uh, (laughs) I, uh, Basically, I do PR, and I mean, I know I've, I've listened to the podcast. I know you guys have talked to some some different people about PR topics and such. But um, the main role is as a as a publicist, you know, outside of being manager, is just if I'm a publicist and I do 
it's different than some, um, I know there are some labels that set it up differently where like sometimes the, the person managing PR is actually doing the hands-on PR, otherwise sometimes they're managing um, different indies and such. But here um, I, do, I do actual PR every day um, and promote bands obviously like general PR would with interviews and, and different, all kinds of different opportunities, uh, TV, magazines, online, that whole, that whole business. And then on top of that, I'm also, yeah, managing the department here. Uh, so I work with uh, John Freeman does uh, a lot of our uh, PR here uh, for most of our bands. And then we've got a couple other independents that we work with um, and pretty much just oversee, you know, what they're doing and work with them as a team um, to make sure that the bands are getting the most uh, opportunities that they can and opportunities that make sense. And um, aside from that, it's all the all the good clerical stuff that comes with <laughs> being publicist. But in Napalm here, we're very like team oriented. So it's not just like me doing my own job and then everyone else is doing their own job. Like we we all communicate all day long in our department. And so um, a lot of times I think I'm doing things that also might not even fall under PR because we're, we're all working together on different ideas and brainstorming and, and things. So. Um, I don't know if that was a really like convoluted answer to your question, but um, but yeah, and working with the team overseas too, and bridging the, the European uh, gap. I work with the European team uh, to communicate on our projects all the time, and uh, run lead on all the North American things. There you go. That's that's. Yeah, I mean the whole like we're one team is part of why we're doing this podcast together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We really do all talk to each other all the time. Uh, you know, we're in the same office talking to each other or on Slack, uh, talking to the European team. We have an Austrian office and a Berlin office. So a lot of overlap. Um, essentially, when I got hired by, by Sean Quinn, who's the North American label manager, he'd known me for a long time. Yes. And uh, he knew that I knew radio because I done it at the syndicate and I um, overseen it at Friday morning quarterback as well. So he knew I would have some of those contacts and he knew from Metal Insider that I knew advertising. So essentially a lot of what I do is uh, oversee radio and oversee all the print and digital advertising. Um, I don't necessarily call every single station because there's active rock and there's metal, but Munzee, who I'm sure everyone in the, in the music industry knows, is uh, one of the main radio people. We've had him on Retainer since before I was at the label. Um, I think he was, he's been doing it for years, actually, for the label. Yeah. Uh, and we also hire sometimes on some of our bigger, more high-profile uh, projects, the, the syndicate as well, like my former co-workers. And... Um, Radio, I don't like active rock radio is a whole separate beast. So we have different people we work with for campaigns on that. So that's that. I oversee, again, uh, placing print and digital advertising in North America um, and various other things like sound exchange collection and um, you know, getting everything submitted to that, uh, Amazon advertising. Uh, it's and again, like many different, yeah, hats. many different things that don't always have to do with either of those. Because sometimes, for example, like uh, one of our artists two weeks ago, their Facebook got hacked and they couldn't get into it. And I know someone who works with Facebook and I just happened to be like, hey, can you get this taken care of? And it, it wasn't super easy, but I was able to get it done more than, you know, trying to talk to whoever at Facebook handles that, so. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Sorry, um, sorry, I, if sorry if you're hearing like planes and trains and automobiles, by the way, we're, we're right outside New York, so there's a whole lot of transportation going on. <laughs> it's loud here, <laughs> so just want to make sure. Anyway. So I had a follow-up question just on that before we go to our next one, just, I guess it's for Bram. Are do you guys, how much focus do you guys put on radio then versus print and online, like a lot? Uh, I wouldn't say it's a versus. It's kind of like they're all their own separate beasts, there. right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's 
like if you have a band like Ultra Branch, you have to go to rock radio and people are going to want to hear what, what you know, there's fans of, of his at that and uh, they'll respond to that more necessarily, maybe not more than they will a print ad, but uh, it's very necessary. And there's some bands, we have a lot of, of say, you know, obviously we have a lot of power metal bands on our label and knowing that there's 20 stations that play a ton of power metal on their on their metal shows, uh, you know, we'll know that that's a priority for that. It really kind of depends on the act. Exactly. Like it's like you're it's kind of the same as with PR is like you're identifying like which opportunities make sense and which outlets make sense for the different artists. Like if you're just going cookie cutter and you're hitting everybody all in one swing, like you're not really doing the doing the maximum that you can. So it's, you know, every band is, is getting the opportunity to be discussed for radio, it just depends on, right? Like, yeah, it's also picking and choosing, especially also with advertising. I mean, there's only a few outlets that, you know, put out regular magazines that, that cover metal. So, um, but we're not going to put like a scene band in Decibel, just right. like we're not going to put a death <laughs> or, you know, a death metal band in Revolver or whatever. So yeah. it's really about picking and choosing and trying to figure out what's best for one artist, whether it's radio or advertising. Cool. So that kind of leads into the next question about marketing intertwining with the PR, if you guys can explain that a little bit. Um, I mean, it's kind of church and state in terms of uh, if you book an app in a magazine, if I do that, I know that Natalie's going to be following up, but it's not ethical, really, for her to be like, hey, we bought an ad. How about you cover us? Yeah. Um, it's hopefully inferred that they'll want to, whether we buy an ad or not. But Or, or inferred that it'd be cool if they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we talk about stuff like that all the time, because there is some... Uh, you know, a lot of crossover. Right. I try, I try like just from my own approach, I try not to rely on, uh, you know, that sort of uh, who's, who's advertising with what, like, like I previously, you know, working in independent, like the advertising aspects didn't even come play, into play for me because I was just like, I'm doing my job and I'm getting it done regardless of who's spending money on what. So I've kind of continued that, uh, that mindset because, um, I think even even if you're not advertising, obviously, like people are going to want to cover things, and just because you are advertising doesn't mean that they're going to cover you based on bandwidth or whatever their own personal interests are. So I, I actually, you said church and state. I kind of um, I will. It, sometimes it actually works the other way around. I know I like lost my ability to speak there. Sometimes it works the other way around where I'll be like this. I know this magazine is going to be covering band A, B, and C, um, yeah. so, but not band D. So maybe it makes sense for us to put an ad in for band D so that we can still get that release in front of the readers without the editorial uh, coming through or, or like the opposite, which is we should advertise all those bands because the outlet is supporting all those bands and, and so on and so forth. So we do talk on that. We have meetings regularly about this kind of stuff. It also goes like the same for online. If there's a website that we know loves the band, of course we're going to advertise that release on there. If there's yep. a band that sounds like or is aligned with a sound that they cover, we're going to want to advertise, even if they're not uh, that familiar with that band. Maybe, maybe it'll make them listen. Maybe their fans will click through. Maybe their fans already list, heard it on Spotify because it came up as a recommended artist to the artist they like. And if they see an ad, don't click on it. I mean, obviously nothing's guaranteed, but you know, we definitely strategize about that when looking at booking advertising for our online outlets that we work with. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. And um, speaking of crossover, this question's kind of for Natalie, but there's probably some aspects that crossover with you too, Graham, is when you're managing and running PR in North America, how do you kind of deal with the potential overlap with the EU? Like, how do you keep them separate? Because there's so much writer overlap between mm -hmm. all the different publications and somebody who's in the UK 
might write for a US publication and vice versa. So how do you navigate that kind of that realm to keep things separate? So like for an example, like you said, there's writers that are here that also write for like Metal Hammer or uh, there'll be people like Carl at Braveboards who are overseas, but they write for a Canadian like website. Uh, it's you basically, the way we work it out is which whichever publications that they're uh, writing the thing for. So if it's, uh, he might come to me and say, oh, I'm doing a, or somebody might come to me and say, I need to do a piece for uh, Kerrang or for Rock Hard or one of these things. And if that's the case, um, I would connect them with the European rep. So each each artist we have, we assign a U.S. Uh, or North American based person, which is me slash John, um, or or John, or the other or another independent, um, or um, and a, and a European lead. So um, we will basically just bounce that back and forth. So like if it's somebody that would come to me, like I said, for a European publication, I would say like Lucas or Lisa or Hakan, like this person, I want to introduce this person. They, they told me that they're interested in covering this for this magazine and vice versa. Like they'll send me people. Um, or if I get pitched by a foreign publication, we'll, we'll just trade it off and, and make sure that our lists are separate as well. So like if I won't have any uh, UK or European people on our list um, and they'll go on theirs. And if there's any crossover, we'll decide, you know, whether it makes sense to keep that person uh, on. But that, that, that overlap doesn't, it doesn't tend to cause any problems because we figure it out like right away. Um, prior to working here, I, you know, again, like as an independent, you kind of end up dealing with uh, publications that aren't always in your territory uh, sometimes if it makes sense and you have the connection you might as well do it right so that I was dealing with Kerrang and Metal Hammer and all that before um, but so it's kind of nice that we're able to, to break it up uh, now um, and hopefully that answers your question oh yeah definitely and it also helps with like the the language issues because being an independent PR like that's what we do for part of what we do and working with people in like France, it's definitely, uh, it gets a little interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> luckily, luckily, prior, prior to here, I really was only, um, maybe there were a couple of South American publications and some people in the UK that I would deal with, um, but rarely did I run into that or it was something uh, in a, like, a, like an actual European country. Um, and if I did, I would forward it back to the client or they would, they would handle it, but um, but now like we have, so like I said, we have European leads here, but we also um, have a lot of different independents in Europe and in the UK. So we have people that we hire in the UK and in, in uh, uh, um, France and, and, and different territories, Australia, we have people that work in each one that are led by us internally. Uh, so there's, al there's always a person to send something to. So if we have, if I get something random from Australia, I'll be like, pass this on to Chris or whoever's mm -hmm. name. <clears throat> Makes sense. Um, just back for a second, just I had a follow-up question from an earlier thing that you said earlier, Natalie, which was just about the aspect of uh, advertising and PR. Um, can you kind of go over like how you kind of pick and choose based upon the ad a little bit and in a little bit more detail, like how you will kind of pitch them at that point? Like if you know, like you guys are running an ad type thing with it being... I usually don't, I usually don't bring it up at all. Um, okay. I feel, yeah, I, I don't, I don't bring it up at all. Um, I personally feel like that's um, kind of like, you should cover this because we paid you. I don't, I don't believe in, in that. And I mean, I know that that works for a lot of, um, of, of different people, but I, I just as a publicist, I'm not saying this yeah. how it should be overall. I'm just saying just my own, uh, my own um, standpoint on that is that um, they should want to cover this based on it being a good product and a good artist uh, alone. And the advertising is to represent our roster and to represent us as a, as a label and to represent you know, what we have coming out. But um, I, I, as a publicist, should be able to get that done. Uh, yeah. 
regardless of whether money is being paid. And if I can't get that done, it's not based on the job that I've done or the money that was spent or not spent. It's just because they are not interested in artists. There's not enough space. Um, I, I've never run into an issue where where I felt like people were only covering something because they were being paid. And I've never run into an issue where um, I had to I had to say something like that. I just don't feel right right bringing money into it and. Unless I really had to. And if we're placing an ad somewhere, it's because we think that it's a good fit for that that readership or viewership. Not necessarily like, hey, cover this. It's like, exactly. hey, you might be interested in this. Like, uh, you know, whether the magazine's covered or not. Yeah. If they have in the past, then that's all the more reason uh, yeah. for people to see that band's name one more time, even if it's not being covered, right. um, you know, in whatever month's magazine that is, or, you know, right. that news cycle. And I don't think that they pick and choose which art, like, I don't think they pick and choose which artists based on the artists that were advertising either. I think it's kind of more like, we as Napalm are advertising our current releases to you, like, a little, you know, right? Makes sense. Uh, just before Corey's follow-up question, I just wanted to say, I think also as well, like, I mean, if, if they're covering your artists, you're, you're going to be want, wanting to pay, pay for ads as a result. So I would think, you know what I mean? So it would seem to make sense what you're saying anyways, right? So. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think, I think it's all a big relationship. I think we yeah. all, you know, I think publicists, it's really important for us to look at you know, this is a community that where we all support each other and we all are, have, you know, relationships with each other. And yeah. um, those are the, some of the best relationships that I have with publications or people that I feel like I can be like, hey, look, I know you can't cover everything this month, but these are the things that I really feel strongly appeal to your readership. And if you had to select like two or three, like I mean, we have to, we have to get down to it. And, and that, and there's an understanding there um, a mutual understanding and respect for the work, like for what we're all doing and for supporting the, the scene in, in, as a whole. So, yeah. Totally. Corey? So one thing I wanted to touch on, which is kind of the whole reason we do this podcast is giving uh, the younger bands and the newer bands who don't have label support and things like that, a bit of industry insider tips and tricks. And so for each of you, when it comes to PR or when it comes to marketing, um, what are some things that bands could do on their own to better represent themselves as they're getting going in their career? Um, we can start with you, Natalie, on PR. Like, what are some ways that bands can avoid the pitfalls that, you know, the new, the, the, the trial and error pitfalls <laughs> that bands fall into and some tricks they can employ as they grow in their career and then hopefully get to the point where they can get a label? Um, I guess I'll look at it from the perspective of like what we look for and what, what to avoid. So um, in order to, cause I think a lot of bands measure success in being signed or being, uh, you know, getting to that level. So, I mean, having, having your social media not look terrible <laughs> is always a good thing. I mean, hopefully this is the, this is the question you're asking. If it's not, let me know. Um, but okay. Uh, like really making sure that your, your like public facing, uh, persona and your public facing brand is, is the best that it can be. So, you know, really great photos, making sure that you have contact information out there, really trying to work your community to build your, your following before uh, it hits the attention of a label. Because usually like when, we, when we're looking at bands, like some of these are some of the first things that we look at um, when we're considering you know, what to do is, is, is what following does the band already have? Uh, how are they representing themselves? Like what is obviously, what does the music sound like? Is it, is it good? Is it a good fit for us? Uh, do we think it will appeal to, to the people that we, that we push to, like things like that. Um, but one of the big things I think that a lot of young bands do that gets in their way is they get an ego before they even get started. And I think it's important to stay humble and to hustle and to know that like you're just a part of the, this big wheel. And if you make it, awesome. If you don't, it doesn't mean that you're like you didn't try hard enough or that you don't, you don't matter. It's like, sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's sometimes, or sometimes it's because you're that good. Like, but 
I, I would say the one pitfall to avoid if, if, if I had to name one would be, would be that, would be stay humble, like, and, and, and hustle. Uh, I think hustle is really the key to everything. I mean, yeah. I'm also, I'm also going to have played in bands and I'm in a band now. And um, I love promoting, like if I believe in something, uh, AKA my music, um, I want people to know about it. And if it sounds as good as it can, and you're out there promoting every show, uh, that's going to lead to people in the community caring about you and maybe people beyond the community caring about you. And you build up that, that, that currency as a musician or as a band, uh, then labels will come to you before you go to them. Um, you know, and going back to what Natalie said about social media, you know, there's a lot of bands that have put out like two or three independent albums before signing with us, and they're almost fully formed by the time they sign. And it's up to us to take them to the next level. And if there's a band that's serious enough about themselves to do that, then we're going to care that much more about promoting them. Yeah. Um, just had a thought. Oh. A question that comes up a lot with PR and bands in relation to PR that I'll, I'll answer even though it wasn't asked, but it's related to this. Um, a lot of times people say like, should bands, should independent bands hire PR? Uh, and uh, my answer would be yes, uh, as long as you make sure that you have uh, something to promote, something that's worth promoting, an album <laughs> and all of the stuff that's right. You can't just hire somebody to send out a press release. About, I mean, you could, but like, I mean, it's it really, there needs to be steam. And the reason I say this is because when we get, and this is related to the question, promise, when we get these things, these bands that we're looking at, um, a lot of times I'll be like, oh, wow, they have like press. Like they actually already have press. Like people know who they are. And that's going to be a, a, a swift introduction for me because I can be like, oh, you've actually already covered this band or you premiered a video from them or, or whatever. Like it, it really does add a level of clout to them before they even get to us. And you can achieve that by hiring an independent publicist um, at some point. Like we just, we just signed a band that we're releasing a record from this fall. Um, um, and uh, they, they came in with a press kit that I was like, oh, like because their prior like smaller label that I never heard of this label, but they had PR and they like killed it. I was like, oh, okay, I have my work cut out for me, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's also the same with, with radio to a degree. I mean, I'm answering not necessarily as Napalm's radio person, but as someone that did metal radio for years at the syndicate. Uh, you know, there's labels that are like, hey, we put out a really good record, uh, hire us and get us famous. And it's like, we'll do our part, but if you have nothing else going on, if you're not scoring, um, if you don't have any publicity at all, it's probably not worth it. Because uh, people will play stuff based on passion and liking the record, but unless there's something going on, it's going to go away in a couple weeks. So um, I think it's basically radio and publicity and uh, whatever else, it's like a cornerstone to help and build your band into what you want them to be. And if that, if that's, uh, if you want to get to a label and get signed as a result of that, uh, it's important. And maybe you don't, maybe you just want to have your shit together as a, as a band and do it yourself. But unless you have like more than one thing going on, um, whether it's a video, publicity, radio campaign, touring, if you have all those, you're in a pretty solid spot to get out in front of people. Um, but without those, you're kind of a little bit of a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And then I have just a quick follow-up, Natalie. You said, have something worth promoting an album. How do you, because we get a lot of requests for singles. Like right. just one singles. How do you feel about doing press for just one-off singles versus an album? So I'm gonna look at it from what I feel yields success, and that mm -hmm. and and in a press uh, and success in a press capacity is also like a very <laughs> broad term because getting getting press versus getting uh, you know just getting bands recognition is like a success in some cases, especially with a small band, but. I always found when I was working independent that, that when a band had an album, 
It gave us a timeline to work with. It gave us multiple assets to work with. It gave us time to build them and pitch them and like get them in there. Whereas like if you're being, I mean, you can service single and there will be people that post about it, but I, I would find that by the end of a full album campaign, I would have a lot more people on board and it was worth the investment that the band put in for the extra few thousand dollars because we were able to really like keep them going and keep them, keep them in the minds of multiple assets and things. That one single, I mean, you can drop that, but I mean, and you might get some press on it. If you get a premiere with it, then of course you're going to get an automatic piece of press out of that, um, which might actually cannibalize your other opportunities. But if you're just working a single, like it's more of an introduction. Like you're putting that, you're putting that artist and that music in front of people and saying like, Hey, please cover this. But otherwise, like, please just take note of this band, listen to this, get to know them, whatever. Um, the album campaign adds automatically adds follow-up to that. Um, and like consistent month, months, months of, of, of pushing. That, that's why I always, I always feel that way. I just feel like the more effort we can put into it, the better you're going to get. So if it's, $300 versus $2,000, you know, it's like, or however much you, you might, might be worth it for you to put more money. Also, as someone that, that ran a, a metal website and also likes music, I mean, if I hear a good single, I'm going to be like, cool, what else you got? And if yeah. there's something else, it's a little bit limiting. Yeah, like if I know an album's coming, like as, so as someone that's on the receiving end of it, it's like, the, the album itself gives it clout, like gives it like, cause I mean, any local band can be like, I'm putting out a video that we spent tons of money on and then it's like over. And it's like, all right, but like, where's your, can you, uh, do you have what it takes <laughs> to put out an actual like release? Like, do you have, and if you're just dropping a single, then it's okay. Now, if you're somebody, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but if you're somebody that's like dropping repeated singles, um, yeah over the course of an extended period of time, then that might be, that might Little Nas X. Yeah, right, Little Nas X. It might, it might be different uh, in that regard because you're getting people where like that. There's, there have been bands that have been doing that lately that have, it's really been working for them, but they've also, a lot of those bands have been signed. They have big marketing teams, big management behind them. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of power. If you're just an independent band and you're just, going to a publicist every five months for the single, sure, that name is going to keep being repeated in, in front of those press people and they'll start to remember your name. That's good. But unless you, I mean, I feel like I said before, it's community, it's a team. Like, unless you have that whole, that whole, uh, that, that whole backing um, without the album, it might be a little, uh, not as quick results as you're expecting. And that's something I know you guys probably deal with in PR. I mean, I dealt with it too. Well, oh. They wanted results like immediately. It's like, well, it's <laughs> a process. Like it's, it's a process. There's introducing you and then there's building you. And then once people know you, then we're going to be able to see that like instant feedback. Exactly. Yeah. I think the best, well, the only really good singles campaign that I've ever seen is from an artist, Ludovico Technique. They drop one every single month. So that's- Well, who is it? I miss it. Ludovico Technique. They're an industrial band and they drop one every single month, a new single. Oh. Um, okay. Sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's not a video, but without the consistency to back it up, like yeah. dropping one, like you said, every five months, people are gonna forget you in the you know four months and 29 days in between. Right. I think a, I think a recent um, example would be Spirit Box. Like a year ago, they, they yeah. put out a single, then they put another one out like six months ago, and yeah. it all went up to the album. Why mm -hmm. yeah, they had a gigantic fan base. And these bands are probably great. I mean, they would not be, I mean, Spirit Box is great. Like, I haven't heard the other band, but um, like, they, they wouldn't be able to have the success if the music wasn't doing something right. Like, if they weren't doing something right. Uh, but that's the thing is if you are going to drop singles like that, you have to have, there's got to be something else. Like you can't just be like Joe on the street dropping singles every month and start to see success. Uh, there's something else there. There's, there's some sort of push. There's money. There's, per, there's previous work that you've done. Uh, like there's, oh, I feel like there's usually something. There's a foundation that's been built. It's not something that anybody can just be like, oh, here's 10 singles that I'm going to release over the next 10 months. Right. No foundation at all. Like, I don't think any, like I said, any like 
a local Joe band who's never put out anything could look at Spearbox and be like, oh, well, they did that so we can do this. No, I mean, they, I mean, Spearbox, they've been hustling for years. They've been in other bands, like they've, they've honed their sound. They've, they've, they've worked it into a modern, you know, and, and very like tasteful and addictive and accessible thing that works for them. And there are so many different parts of that machine that are working for them. And ultimately the music rocks though. And that's I, think a, I think a recent example for us would be Tetra, because uh, we signed them. On... By the way, yeah. on those guys, I, I call them modern nostalgia because they are every band from my middle school and high school era yeah. rapping to one. Sorry, I just fangirled out there. No, for I, I love that, that's great. But, but they're an example of a band like they, already had like they hired people for radio uh there was enough of a buzz about them they were going to play on Sirius XM so we signed them when they were already working their first single and kind of picked up and ran with it from there and uh you know it's pretty exciting to see them go on tour for the first time next month with with, uh, with the trio and <laughs> they're one of those bands that uh you know again like kind of had their stuff together enough um, and was well known enough and did enough to get noticed by uh, not just us, there were other labels looking at them um, for them to sign with us. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I worked with them before too. Yeah, exactly. Were, I mean, it was always obvious that they had something um, going for them. And that's, that's the thing I love. Like, we have, uh, I'm not going to name the name because we haven't announced that the record's coming up and we signed them, but we have another band that's uh, putting out something in the, in, uh, early q1 that it's like you just you kind of just know like based on that like modernized sound and and like their their own savvy like i mean that's a big thing and i'll, I'll segue into that even if you didn't ask but i think it's worth talking about um on this topic of what bands can do to propel themselves like that i'm excited about because i just know i feel it i'm like oh man this is gonna be awesome like people are gonna love this and i feel that way about like tetrarch spear box like some of these bands where you just know you feel it you know it's like so good that like it's undeniable like how good this is uh and and how much they get it and that's the thing uh, that i was gonna say is like getting it isn't even musical like completely it's like some of these bands like they're making their own content like they're out there like you said like hustling they are they have their own like video studio setups like like Jiggy, yeah like sumo cycle like they make their own music videos in their house like they and and their music videos are crazy and they've been doing diy for years so they they got that ready and their ability to um not just create that content like music video stuff but like create the, their own like be available to create content and be be like self-media trained and be like just just get it, like they just get it. Like Vicky from the Animist is, I mean, I'm working with her now. We just put out a new EP from them. It's awesome. She's like on it. Like she has a Twitch channel. She has her own studio set up at home where she's doing a bunch of local stuff. And I, I pitch her to people. I'm like, if you need somebody like quick that gets it, that's going to give you quality and isn't going to mess around and waste your time, like she's someone I'll put Brittany from Unleashed Arts. The same thing. Like she has her own setup at home. She's amazing in interviews she's super easy to work with and it's like if you're if you just teach yourself how to become accessible in that way not just as an artist but like as in a communication sense and and build yourself as a personality and not just as i get on stage and play guitar i mean it helps it really helps and i'm sure you guys see it too like with press people too it's like you know which artists are going to be easy to get that quick turnaround from. And those publications, like they look for that. They're like, do you have anybody that can just do a live interview? Like on Thursday night, I had somebody drop and I'll start to think of the people that I actually feel like might be able to like get on it. And it's yeah. really useful. So be that. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well <maybe you're> <laughs> I said, be flexible and easy to work with. Yes. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, some bands can't, some bands don't have that ability though, and that's okay. Like, you know, you can't, I'm going to like edit that a little bit. Some bands don't have the ability to have a, a, a special space for their own video studio. Like, some bands uh, don't have the, the backing to be able to set that up. But, you know, you make do where you can. I just think that that's, I think that that's helpful. If you have the means to do it and you have the savvy to do it, there should be nothing stopping. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think you have to have 
like an expensive setup or any of that stuff to be both flexible and, and, you know, get along with people. It just, it goes so far being just nice. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, again, at least Brittany is an example. She's just so pleasant and easy to interview. And like, she knows how to, like I said, media training, she knows how to answer a question in the way that she wants it to be portrayed. And like, I mean, people, you know, the, the big, the big PR no-no people, you know, publications contact her directly all the time. And she's one of the only people that I'm like, I fully trust her to do what she, whatever she needs to do, because, you know, it's people like that. It's very easy to work with. I'm sorry. I'm like, I got nothing. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I'll go on forever. So we only got about seven minutes or 10 minutes left. But I got one more question. I don't know if Corey has one more, but uh, this is geared towards Natalie. So can you talk about um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> the difference between uh, breaking a new band, like doing PR for a newer band versus like one that's established? Because a lot of bands think just, just because their their publicist has worked with a big band, for example, they can get in all the same spot. Can you kind of cover that? Yes, I just was having this conversation with a band recently um, where I basically said like, you can rest assured that we're going to get you in front of the right people and that we're going to push you the way that we would know to push. Um, because between John and I, uh, John Freeman and I, like we both have over 10, 12 years already, like just working metal specialty, like completely metal rock specialty and some of the biggest bands like in the game and some of the smallest, like, you know, like with all, all the upcoming stuff. So we know how it works in all directions. And I told I assured them, I'm like, the job is going to be done in the way that it needs to be done, but you might not see this like waterfall of press right away because we have to, we have to build you. We have to, we have to get you, uh, we have to build the relationship between you and the media. So we have to introduce, introduce you to them, get them to listen to your music, get them to understand why you're, why, what makes you special. And that doesn't happen overnight unless there's like some other like weird circumstance that like you got a million YouTube views overnight for some reason and even that doesn't happen without anything else. So it's, you know, it, I have to tell them like, you might not see it right away. This is, this is going to be an introductory campaign and we're going to be introducing you to, um, to people on this one. And we'll get some good hits. We'll get some good quotes. We'll get some clips that we can use in the future and that you can you can put on your wall and be proud of. But I mean, you might not be like in every magazine, like right away, like even Tetrarch, like, you know, they, we saw some great, um, I worked them prior, like I said, we saw great reception for them. Um, and this time around we did, we got, we blanketed. I mean, they were, they were everywhere and it was really great. But having that, yeah, like having that prior campaign like was was the jumping off point uh, like for them having that that basis of, of press and recognition with the media. So um yeah, I, I, I now and I'm gonna just say a lot of the stuff that I'm saying here, it really applies to North America. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm speaking, I'm speaking very specifically to how press press does not work the same, advertising does not work the same in all the territories. So I do, like I said, I want to just clarify that that everything I'm saying is, is relevant to what I believe makes sense for North American press and the press climate here. Uh, I can't represent necessarily what they're doing uh, in Europe and how those relationships work there. Um, so, so you'd have to have a European person from the whole hint, hint, if you want to <laughs> get how it works over there. Fair. Um, Corey, did you have a follow-up on that before I ask my final final? I am good on my end. You asked your final, final. My final, final question. So one last question just about, um, so Natalie, what do you do when, or, or Bram, both of you guys, what do you guys do? Like if the campaign just bombs, nothing's going well, what happens in that case? <laughs> <when you're, laughs> this will be the question that I give you. Just kidding. <laughs> Damn, like, right, sure. give, me the, give me the great, the cool question. That, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we put out 71 releases this year. So yeah. Not everything is going to take off the way we, we want it to, uh, yeah. but sometimes you'll just try to focus on the people that do like whatever that is, yeah. whatever the album is, find that, find those fans, find the people that supported it, and really just kind of 
bookmark them for the next album that band puts out. Um, a lot of, especially with radio, a lot of these bands don't necessarily have like high goals. Um, some are surprised they're even on any radio at all. So, um, and I'm generally, for the most part, not dealing with the bands directly. I'm, I, I talk to our product managers and send them the reports. So it's really up to them to deliver the good or bad news to whoever. Um, I do deal with management sometimes and some artists are very hands-on. So they want to know everything. And uh, you want to be as blunt as possible. It's like, hey, this, this isn't breaking through the way that we hope it would. Um, but hopefully that doesn't happen because everything we put out is like, hit. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I mean, we, we truly do. I mean, we truly do believe like everything we put out, you know, we believe it's like, it's awesome in its own right, regardless of, of the sound or the image or whatever, um, you know, but uh, when something doesn't go well, like on top of that, we kind of have to step back and kind of assess like, why didn't this work? Like what, what about um, like whether it be the videos or whether it be the music itself or, or in the music in comparison to the prior release and like how that sounded or were they on tour were they not on tour like we have to look at kind of all these elements and be like is it you know was it something to do with us or was it to do with something about the product itself like the music or the, or the yeah. artist and, um, and you just kind of you assess what didn't work and then you just keep that in mind and, and, and try to kind of either combat that and make up for it or think about it the next time. So if, if we feel like the music was the reason that it didn't do because it didn't match the sound of the prior album, we will we'll eventually say something to the artist or management and say, hey, you know, like after going through everything, you know, we feel like this is what, I'm, I'm assuming this conversation is being had, assuming this conversation is being had. Uh, but I mean, that's what I would do. <laughs> I would say, like, you know, I think this might be what it was, and and, and just let them know for the future and keep that in mind. If they choose to act on that, then that's them. They're the artists. They do what they want to do artistically. So, yeah, I mean, at, at Metal Radio and to a degree at the outlets we advertise with, sometimes there's some music that we put out that falls in between the cracks. Like, it's, you know, not heavy enough for some people, but too heavy for others or too experimental. And we try to go into whatever project that is with the expectations that this might not be a really big radio band, but Crest is going to do really well. Right. Like, okay, this is the, like Sean always says, this is the driver. Like this department is the driver for this because we know that this is going to do well. Um, like, so I'll use Sumo Cycle as an example, they're super engaged on Instagram and social media. And so we, we knew like their socials are going to drive like th this to their fans, um, as opposed to press, which was really great. We did have radio success. We ended up having success in all areas with that release. It was really great. Um, but we knew that like, they, they really had such strong fan engagement, um, that, that, you know, we were able to pinpoint, uh, where it is, you know. Well, for an example, sometimes we'll get like a black metal band that curses on every song on the album. And <laughs> they're not expecting to get played on radio and they probably don't care if they are. Uh, it would probably dilute their image of themselves or whatever. But when someone's like, I can't play this, there's curses on every song on the album except for this one and it's an instrumental interlude. You know, I think, they're, I think they, they know going in yeah. that they're not necessarily going to get that success. And it's the same with uh, press where it's, you know, you're, I said it before, like you can't take a cookie cutter approach to, to, to music PR. You can't, you will fail. Like you, you, you basically have to say like, okay, this is, this is the type of band this is. So I think that they'll fit in these types of publications. You can try to pitch them to the other ones because a lot of times those, those, the, all the outlets have writers that enjoy different types of music. So just because Loudwire doesn't seem like they're going to like this grindcore band <laughs> doesn't mean that there's not a guy that works there that is like the grindcore expert, like, you know, and he wants to cover. So, you know, you have to find those, those people and those publications. So just because it won't work in the, the big, like the big five or six, you know, print magazines doesn't mean that you can't still build like a nice 
uh, campaign for them and pinpoint like what's going to work. I don't know if we're still answering the question. Like <laughs> 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 it would not be a Corey and Curtis podcast if we did not go off the rails at some point. So <laughs> it's totally on brand right now. <laughs> I was listening. I to mean, but really, time. kind of to follow up is. <laughs> We want to, you know, we, we're interested in these bands' careers. So yeah. if yeah. people doesn't connect on one album, hopefully they'll build up um, enough of a fan base from the radio airplay and press coverage and advertising and videos that they put out on the last album that at least the next time they put a record out, there's going to be that much more people that know who they are and we'll give them a chance. Thank you for bringing it back to the point there. I was like, I'm like I know I'm like in another place right now. But I was I was saying I was listening to uh, one of your previous uh, episodes with Kevin Serpenko, who I you know obviously work with. If I didn't, that'd be bad because he's a metal publicist. Uh, and um, he uh, <laughs> like, how good are you that you don't know who that is? Um, no, he's great. And he, I was listening to it and I was noticing that he was like kind of going off into these like different topics, but they were all very valid and interesting points. And I, so sometimes I'll just be like, you know, this is a point that's tangentially related to this. And I think people can learn from it. So I'm going to keep talking. Yeah. So thanks for allowing us to do that, mostly. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so we got like two minutes left. So Corey's going to ask a final question of you guys, and then we're going to end off. Okay. It's the most important question of the interview. What is your favorite dinosaur? Oh my God, what? I told you, this separates the, the, the amateurs right now. This, this is a deciding question. Dinosaur Velociraptor. Velociraptor <laughs> is a classic. It is I have classic. so many like comedy answers that I'm not gonna give right now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, no, no, <laughs> uh, no, um, man, you took Velociraptor. Go with Stegosaurus. Uh, no, I think I'm going to go with T-Rex because they have tiny hands like me, but they're mighty. <laughs> they Good man, too. T-Rex, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm like, dinosaur, man, that was tough. I know it's hard to choose because they're all really cool. Like yeah. I just want one. I don't even really care what it is. <laughs> what if I had said like dinosaurs aren't real? Wasn't there somebody recently that went on record saying they didn't think dinosaurs were real? No. <laughs> no probably. No, like this one. By the way, my second favorite dinosaur is Dinosaur Jr. <laughs> perfect answer. Perfect there answer. There you go. There you go. So, so do you guys, either of you guys have any final words before we wrap up? Any words of wisdom you want to impart? I no. Thanks I, for having us. I was yeah. I say thanks for having us, and thanks for letting us represent Napalm together. We both really enjoy working here, and it's a it's a nice team atmosphere. And um, you know, it's been nice being on the team, and and yeah, that's why we wanted to come on together because we're like yeah, we can give you so much yep. more of a well rounded look. So thanks for having us. You're very welcome. And with that, party on, Corey. Party on, everybody. See ya. Party on. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your platform of choice. You can also join the conversation by following us on any social media and suggesting guests or topics you'd like to learn more about. Thanks for listening to C-Squared.